All right, well, this is good, Lord. Father, I want to thank you for each one here today. I want to thank you, Father, for the kids. I want to thank you for the kids' time. And I want to thank you that you are our Father, that, that you, as our Heavenly Father, who is holy and righteous and pure, that when we as your children ask for things, you will always give us the things that are good and best for us. And we can trust you with that. And I love the fact that we say, I want to love you more, and we're asking you to help our hearts to grow more in love with you, that you will honor that. And you'll show yourselves to us. You're, you're working our lives in a way that we'll see you in ways that we've never seen before. And our hearts will just grow more enamored with your love. And so, Father, I just pray you bless that in each of our lives. Bless this message. Use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Desperation. Now, there's a negative desperation where you're desperate to uh, get out of a situation or have a situation resolved. And then there's a good desperation where you're like, I can't wait to get some food. Why? Yeah, can't wait to get some food to eat. I start to repeat a story I've said a million times. I said, I'm not going to do it. So, uh, so anyways, we know what desperation is. And one of my goals as your pastor is to help every one of you to grow closer to the Lord. You know, when I'm talking to you about uh, commitment to, to follow the Lord as God leads you or to discover the spiritual gifts that God has for you and then how to utilize those gifts and to use them within the church family to just grow and, and how to handle certain circumstances. And you, as you talk to me, I want to help you to grow in Christ more and more and more. That's my calling. That's what I'm supposed to do. And of course, it's a never-ending endeavor for all of us to grow more in love with or grow, grow closer to, to Jesus, right? I mean, this side of heaven, we're never going to know that fullness. And frankly, I don't know if we're going to know the fullness of loving Jesus in eternity either because his love is immeasurable and always, always infinite. And so we can praise God for that. I want to take a look today at a few things in God's word that will help each of us to grow closer to God. And it starts with our, a frame of mind. It starts with our heart attitude towards God. Psalm 27, 4. One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of his temple. Do you suppose that the psalmist here, David is saying, I can't wait to get back to temple. I can't wait to get back to the synagogue. I can't wait to get for us to get back to church. I can't wait to be in that building and with everybody. You think that was the top priority of being back in that temple? No, it was that secret place. It's going to God and being with God in, in worship, in the temple, but meeting up with God. I mean, really, if we don't meet up with God when we come to church, then we're missing what God is really wanting us to hear. It becomes something that is, is kind of dull. It's something that doesn't really resonate. But when we meet with God, when God meets with us, God speaks to our heart either through the contents of the message or, or externally as his spirit talks to us. We're meeting with God. Or when we're together as, by, as a body of believers in Jesus Christ as our Savior and we sense the presence of the spirit moving. Much like when Olin was sharing that testimony, we all were touched and moved in our spirit, right? And so that's part of God's work and what he's doing that we're experiencing together. The psalmist starts by asking for something in this verse. 
and then switches to seeking to something. Psalm 27, 4, first, right, we must ask or pray to be near God. Don't you find it wonderful that God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, sovereign above all things, none parallel to God in his might and power, glory, and love, that you and I in our microscopic, to say the very least, presence within creation and the universe can call upon God in a very real and personal way and say, God, I want to know you. I want to grow closer to you. I want my relationship with you to be more personal, where I identify with you in the person of who you are in a more definitive, clear way in my life. So we must ask or pray to be near God, and then we must seek to be near God. So we can ask God, and God's going to honor that, but if our heart is really genuine in what we're asking, then we're going to seek it. God, I'm looking to you to help me to draw near to you, to be close to you, to have a relationship with you that is richer. Then we're going to look for that. We're going to look for how God actually intervenes and works in our lives to help us to to gain that closer relationship with God. We're not going to sit back with our eyes closed, our ears covered, and wait. Okay, I'm waiting for him to touch me and do something. No, it's as we live our lives and are mindful that God, that we've asked God, draw me closer to you. And as we go through our life and our circumstances, we begin to see God evolve. And, and I say evolve loosely, I'm saying evolving or, or revealing to us who he is and how he's working. That's drawing our heartstrings toward him. The first asking that we do occurs when we ask God to be our savior. If a person's lost and they're feeling compelled by the Holy Spirit, look, nobody feels compelled to to follow God unless they're responding to the prompting of the Holy Spirit knocking on their heart. Now, every human being, God desires that none should perish, right? He desires that all will be saved, right? And so every human being, from the littlest of, of life, to whatever area of life or stage of life we're in, has a choice to stop and go, I can feel the sense or prompting that something's going on in my heart and my spirit and it's directing me toward God. Likewise, every human being has the opportunity to say no. So I believe when a baby is born and as they become more cognizant of life, let's look at Torn just as an example, that as a little six-year-old, he doesn't have to entertain those thoughts. He could push that out. But God is touching him and showing him things that he wants him to see. And so as individuals, we have the choice to, to either receive the promptings and the touching of the Holy Spirit working in our heart or to push back. And those that continue to push back, unless they change their mind, are going to die without Christ. And those that are yielding to and and, and, and following the Spirit of God, will, God will lead them to the gospel message. God will lead them to say, you know, you know I'm real, you know I'm around, you know I've talked to your heart, and, this is, and God will introduce to them the gospel message on how to have a closer walk with Christ. When I was a, a child, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but I had a desire for God. 
And unbeknown to me, I was in a, a preschool kindergarten class that was Southern Baptist at the time, and it was this convenient place for my parents to drop me off for, for preschool, right? And so in that, the gospel message was presented, but I didn't understand it, and I believe it was at that point that I received Christ. But I still didn't have any nurturing. And so I would look for um, things on TV or anything that would indicate to me how to grow closer to God. And if I saw someone praying on their knees on TV, then I thought, well, that's how I'm supposed to pray. Pray on my knees. And wherever I was picking up on things that would direct me closer to God, that's what I pursued as a child. And so that's what I'm saying, that the prompting of the Holy Spirit is there, and we're at a place of choice of whether we are receptive to the Spirit of God's prompting or if we're rebelling against it. And so, praise God, I would venture to say that all of you in this room are believers in Christ. And if you don't have that security, receive Christ. He's, your, you know, he's the Savior of the world. But you know him because you're responding, you're responding to the Holy Spirit. And if you're prompted to make a decision to receive him, follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. So first, we have to receive Christ into our lives to be our Savior if we're going to draw near to God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. We can't have a relationship with God except through faith in Jesus Christ. And after that, we can ask God to teach us how to grow closer to him, and he will answer us and show us. Just like me when I was a kid. I said, Lord, I want to know you more. Show me the things I need to know to make me grow closer to you. And so God, one of the things that he impressed on my heart to begin with at a very little age is to talk to him in prayer. And I talk to him all the time in prayer. Later, when I heard the gospel message and it was clear to me, I said, well, you know what, I want to make sure. And I, I went up and I asked Christ in my heart and everything, but the difference was, was that after I prayed that prayer to receive Christ in my heart, I didn't feel any different in my relationship with God because I already knew him. I just didn't realize that I, I hadn't gone through that formal pros, prospect. And that's important. For us to be able to, to know, I have literally prayed and asked God to forgive me of my sins, come live in my heart, and to be my Savior. But then after that, the choice was, do I want to follow his promptings? Do I want to listen to him? Do I want more of him in my life? In Matthew 5, 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. If we're hungering for God, desiring God, God's not going to turn his back on us. We've received him as our savior. We have a relationship with him. He's our heavenly father. And if he says, I want, if we say to him, I want to grow closer to you, he's going to let us grow closer to him as we pursue him. He'll show us how. I want to focus on the next step in Psalm 27, 4, and that is to seek to be near God. And the word seek here is important. It's the Hebrew word bakash. Bakash. Now, a little hint, you may already know the definition of this word without realizing that you know it because of kid's time, <laughs> okay? So the, the word seek is the Hebrew word bakash, and it, it wasn't merely requesting to dwell in God's presence, okay? It's not just looking for that special moment, all right? Bakash means the psalmist was begging like a starving man does for his bread. 
When you first received Christ, were you more hungry for Jesus and the truth of his word and a relationship with him than you are today? You see, that's, that's a tough question, but the reality is we should be growing more desperate, if you will, it's a strong word, of desiring God and knowing God than when we did when we first received him. It shouldn't go, this is the highlight I received Jesus as my Savior, and I'm excited about him, and I'm excited about his word, and I'm excited about learning, and that's the apex of my spiritual relationship with God, and from there on, that excitement just kind of levels out. That's not what God wants. God wants this to be the starting point of our excitement for God, our joy in God, our desire, our hunger for God. So we're to start from here and keep going up in our thrill and in our desire and in our hunger for God. The Hebrew people were an agricultural society, and they had a much better grip of, of what this particular uh, meaning of desiring God or starving for God the word bakash in Hebrew means. See, they lived on the existence of a, of a successful crop, and they had no warehouses of food or government food programs. They were all just one bad crop away from starvation. What is it now? 60% of our uh, citizens in America rely on a check each month to live. If they don't get that check, then everything falls apart. No, there's no savings. There's no hand to mouth, check to check. That's where people are. So when you're in that position, if you, all of a sudden your income is cut off, you're in dire straits. And that's what it meant. They were agricultural. They were they relied on their crops to sustain them for life. And if their crops were lousy, then they were going to suffer greatly. Okay, so they understood what begging for bread meant. It meant a person was desperate for what would sustain them and keep them alive. I'm going to keep throwing this back. How desperate are we for our spiritual growth to be alive? How desperate are we to keep that spiritual fervor, that spiritual joy, that spiritual fulfillment, but most of all, that spiritual closeness with God. How important is that? We need him to sustain us spiritually. We're secured by faith in Christ. We have our salvation through Christ, but are we hungering? Are we desperate? Are we desiring to know him more? Remember, if we're not, we can ask him. You know, I can say, I, I desire to, and I want to, and I'm going to ask you, I want to go closer to you, but let's say we're in a position where, where we're saying to ourselves, you know, I'm not in that place, and that bothers me. So what we can do is simply go to God and say, God, I want to be in that place where I hunger and thirst for you with a heart that's desperate, a spiritual heart that just does not get quenched spiritually, but is constantly pursuing more of you, which means not head knowledge, but relationship through knowledge in him. And so the verse in this psalm describes what can be called a holy desperation. Um, I want to I make a distinction here. A lot of times desperation 
is coupled with fear. We don't want that. But at the same time, if we were looking realistically, aside from the agricultural or the economic status of a person's life and well-being, but on the spiritual level, we should have a fear of becoming less excited about Jesus. We should have a fear because when we grow less in love, less excited about him, the result is, is that we, we lose our passion for him. And our passion is what enables us to be that, that person to have a close relationship with God that he can work in and through for him and his glory and can fill our lives. If we're not hungering, hungering and thirsting after him and his righteousness and desperate for that, that closer walk with him, then we're at risk of, of allowing our lives to come, our spiritual walk to become a mediocre, uh, humdrum, kind of non-effective existent spiritual relationship with God. But we need a holy desperation. So this is a tough examination question for each of us to answer this morning. Am I desperate for the presence of the Lord? If the answer is no, in all honesty, say, God, I want to be desperate for you because I know that that is the richness of you in my life that I want restored or renewed or increased. So we have not because we ask not. And we can ask him. He's our father and he's not going to deny us anything that's good. So he's not going to say, no, tough luck, too bad, you blew, whatever. He's saying, I'm your father, and you want to go closer to me? You got it. And again, the Holy Spirit led Olin to share that story. You know, my grandson is saying, Dad, I want to spend time with you. It's late. But Dad said, okay. We can come to God and God our Heavenly Father and say, well, I'm going to go closer to you. And he's always right there to say, okay. And I will orchestrate what's needed in your life to help you grow closer to me. And we will praise God for that. It's easy to settle for a business as usual spiritual life. You know what that's otherwise translated to? It's easily to resolve to be religious. I don't like religion. I like a relationship. Church is church, and it's wonderful. Jesus established it, and he structured it. It's what ought to be. It's where we grow, we serve, we worship, we gain that community as God's people in a world of darkness doing his work. And I love that. But if we're not passionate for Jesus, it's just religion. Check it off. I went to church. So it's easy to settle in for a business as usual spiritual life. That's true. We all, we have, that's where the desperateness comes in. Where if we sense ourselves slipping into that complacency state, then that should be a red light of alarm. It should be like, oh Lord, I don't want to fall away from you. I want to draw nearer to you. And if we're at that place, all we have to do is ask. And our Father will honor that. He knows our heart. And so we can fall into a, 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 a spiritual, a diluted lifestyle of, of false contentment in him. 
so much so that you can come to your latter years and say, oh, you know, I've always, you know, convalescent homes, we minister, Kathy and I worked with senior adults. And, and it was sad for some occasions because there were some of those senior adults that, that said, you know, I've gone to church and I've served and all that stuff, but you know what? I did my parts. Now, now, now it's my turn to do nothing. Nothing, excuse me. Until God calls us home, he has, us, has each of us on mission. And so it's a resolve to say, I'm, I'm good. I've done my religious stuff. I'm going to back up. That's basically denying that closer walk with Jesus. And we should never fall into that place of complacency. Do you remember what the Lord said to the church in Laodicea? Revelation 3.16. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That doesn't mean loss of salvation, as some will teach. No. Complacency is a sin, and God finds it distasteful. How many of you gone to a public park where they have the old water fountains, maybe, maybe out of river rock stone, and the fountain's hooked up, and the, the stainless steel little bowl in there, and the little push-button fountain, you know, and you go and take a sip, and it's just putrid. <laughs> spit it out well that's how God looks at complacency that's how God looks at uh, that mediocre religious status God wants us to be passionate about him and if we're not at that place we need to say God I'm not there but I want to be and God will honor that in your life as you seek him out what does complacency look like in a believer's life? These are just some earmarks. They're not conclusive. But things we might look at, because if we're following Jesus as our Savior, there are going to be evidences of that that are just part of our Christian walk. If we're not regularly reading the Bible, I'm going to skip the word regularly, because you can tell I have a hard time saying regularly. So if we're not reading the Bible, if we're not attending church, if we're not fellowshipping with believers, if we're not reg whoops, if we're not serving, if we're not praying, if we're not giving tithes and offerings, if we're not witnessing regularly, all of them, okay? Those are things that help identify passion, but they are not conclusive to a passionate life. Because we can do these things, it doesn't mean that we are still having a heart of, of passion for God. I can read my Bible, go to church, fellowship, serve, pray, give tithes and offerings, and witness, but we can still see our spiritual walk kind of being complacent because it's become standardized. So, so we need to make sure that we are aware of that and we say, God, I want to be right here where I was when I first received you. And I want to continue in that relationship to higher and higher ground in you. So how do we avoid complacency? We regularly do the things listed above. Any word that starts with R, I can't say. I went to speech school for four years, and R's were always W. w Will Rogers and Little Rabbit. Okay, there it is. So just so you know. All right. So 
we regularly do things, okay, so how do we avoid complacency? We, we, we apply these things. I'm not minimalizing. We need to read the Bible. We need to attend church. We need to fellowship with believers. We need to serve and pray and give tithes and offerings and witness. Fellowships like the pool party yesterday, you know, it just gives a whole different arena for us to know each other and to encourage each other, and, and it's a blessing. So, to avoid complacency, God comes first. Other things come second, and priorities are scheduled around God. I know some of you schedule your life to be able to be here. And I praise God for that. When you, when you deliberately say, I want to be in church, but I have to get this, this, and this in place to be able to be here. <laughs> That's God touching your heart. And you not pushing back, but you saying, yeah, and trusting him to orchestrate that so you can be here. Praise God for that. I love that. Complacency disappears when we are desperately seeking God. When we are saying, Lord, I have, look, when we're in that place of prayer that we talked about in the, in the worship, where you're alone with God, and you realize you're alone with God <laughs> and you're communing with him and he's communing with you and nothing else is even cognizant around you mentally to where you're almost feeling like you're in his presence in heaven and spiritually you are because our citizenship is in heaven and we are seated with him at the right hand of Christ. And we, we are in that spiritual state where we're just with him. That, that time with God, those moments, whether in prayer or other moments where you know it's just you and God and God is talking to you, revealing himself to you, what does it do? It should stir our hearts to love him more. Say, God, you're revealing yourself to me, and I'm feeling the blessing of you. And my heart, my spirit is stirred with a wow factor. I know, I know you. I've grown to love you. And it's all because of you loving me and showing yourself to me. And then the free will to choose to follow. So complacency disappears when we abide with God or abide in God. When we find ourselves in step walking with God, yielding to God, surrendering to God, and loving God more, complacency ends. But it's never, I say ends. Complacency becomes um, subdued, but it's always a threat to us. Can we say that? Can we honestly, can routine in church become routine in church and we lose passion? Yeah. Let's be honest. Oh, it's church again. Oh, got to get up. Got this and that. that. That's not the heart God wants for us. God wants us to be excited about coming to, to worship together, to serve together, to be God's people, not just collectively, but for us in our own personal relationship with Jesus to grow in him. Jesus gave us the answer on how we abide in him. John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide, and abide in his love. Look, if we know what we're, we should do, and by God's grace and dependence on him, we're doing it, it reflects that we love him. 
If our children are just rascals and don't care a word about what you say, don't respect us, don't care, and do everything that they shouldn't be doing at, at, to the point that it's offensive to us, does that reflect their love or respect for us? No. But on the contrary, if our children are taking in and receiving wisdom and gaining instruction and developing a relationship with us, then that shows love. And God pictures that in the normal family unit. But it's a spiritual reflection of what he wants for us in heaven with him, in our spiritual walk with him. That if we truly love him, it'll be reflected by our tender heart for him. It'll be reflected by how we yield to him and how he guides us. And when we say command, sometimes it sounds so hard. It just simply means the things that God wants us to do, we're more tender-hearted toward doing because we love Jesus. And that's so important. It means so much to God. Abiding in God starts with obeying his commandments. We do not have to fulfill the law in order to go to heaven or be saved. Praise God, because none of us can fulfill the law. You break one, you break them all. Just so you can get the Ten Commandments. And when we're talking about commandments, we're talking about um, looking at God's word and knowing what God appreciates, what God wants, what God instructs us to do, that our heart out of love for him because of our personal experience with him as our Savior, that we actually are saying, God, I love you. This, this, what I've learned here, I'm going to apply to my life and rely on you to help me. Or this that you're revealing to me, boy, it's challenging. But because I love you, I'm going to do it. There have been times in ministry where I've told God, I said, God, I do not want to do that. No! No! And I prostrate myself on the floor in prayer and be before God and I cry out to him. And you know what the bottom line was? If you love me, you will. I didn't do that to him. <laughs> you know what I mean? But God knows my heart. But he had to bring me to a place that said, I know it's hard, but you are mine, and I've already given you what you need to do what I call you to do. And that's true for all of us. He's already empowered us to be a people that live a spiritual walk with him as we lean on him. It's not our own doing. So abiding in God starts with obeying his commandments. And we don't have to fulfill the law, right, to be saved because Jesus paid for all of our sins. In other words, we break the law to sin, but Jesus paid for the sins that we did, right? How we offend God. But according to Jesus' words, he still expects us to do our best to obey his commandments so we draw closer to him and abide in him. Isn't that the key? We want to grow closer to him. We want to abide in Christ. That means to have such an intense fellowship with him through our daily walk. As if you could sense very evidently like another person's presence right there with you. And yet we sense the very presence of God right here with us. Just as real, just as relative, and incredibly rich in our lives. His commandments are found throughout the Old and New Testament, and it's important to read and study his word and to learn so we can know what he commands, what he expects of us, right? Uh, he's not going to tell us to do anything that he won't equip us to be able to do. So we don't have to be afraid of that. We, he knows our 
our inabilities. He knows our insecurities. He knows our weaknesses. But he says, these are the guidelines I'd like you to look at. These are things I want you to... Does he do it just because he wants to box us into some sort of robotic structure? No. He does that because he says, the more you do this, the more you reflect that you really love me, and you're going to experience my love for you in greater ways. And that's the fulfilling of God's work in our lives. Just living to the best of our ability with the Holy Spirit's help by the original Ten Commandments is a good place to start. You understand the Ten Commandments are, are broke down into two different things. Love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love people. Now, it's not saying people that are Christians. Although that's a priority, love the household of faith is a priority. But it is not the exception to the rule. We are to love people because everybody's created in the image of God. So, so, the Ten Commandments give us the ten foundational laws by which we relate to God and each other. So, you can imagine what the world would be like, or can you imagine what the world would be like, if the world, out of the Ten Commandments, loved God first and loved all people. But we're God's people, we're called to do that. And that can make a difference. That can make a difference. The Ten Commandments are not just good ideas. They were laws that would make life better if they were obeyed. God's really saying, all I want is for you to have the richest life you can have with me. So as I instruct you and as I lead you and as I show you what I want you to do, otherwise known as commands or, or just what he has taught us to do, it's not for restriction, it's for fullness of life in him. And the devil will twist that around and say, oh, he's just trying to rob you. He's trying to lock you down. He's trying to box you in. He's trying to be a dictator. No, he's trying to fill our lives with life in him as we follow him. The first four commandments deal with our relationship with God. No other gods before him. Don't put any other priorities above him, right? No, no idols. Don't let anything get in the way of loving God first. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Show respect to God in words and in actions as we represent him. His name is his character. If we don't reflect his character, which are his virtues, and we are disrespecting him by the words we speak or by the things we do, then we're not reflecting his name. Work for six days and spend one day worshiping God. That's not a propaganda statement from the pastor. <laughs> It's a statement that God says that we need to physically rest and have spiritual restoration, and God deserves our time. So it's not just every day of the week as we try to walk with the Lord and read our Bible or pray, but really taking a day that we can just kick back, turn off your phones if you can, set back, and just devote your day to the Lord. That doesn't mean on your knees all day. It means... Whatever you're doing, try to make those things focused on God. You know, instead of watching TV, read a book or watch a Christian, Christian program. Read a Christian book. Read your Bible. You know, start funneling your actions on that day to just focusing on him and then re relaxing from the rest of everything else you do in life. Let the laundry go. Let the dishes go. Just... Relax and focus that way. Just listen to music and do a hobby while you're listening to Christian music 
and you're worshiping God. Those are things that we can do. Okay? So, so what happens when we do this, um, it will lead us to another personal self-examination. That's a tough question. Are you keeping those first four commandments? What were they? Don't put any other gods before him. Make him top priority. No idols. Don't let anything get in the way of you loving God. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. And take time one day to commit that day to God. It'll bless you. We need to seek to organize our schedules, activities, our time to allow us to spend time with God at home or church. Then this will help us to better obey his commands or, or yield to his commands and do them. And it will enhance our relationship with him, abiding in him. So, through Moses, God gave the Israelites the Shema to learn, to memorize, recite, and practice. Jewish culture today, the Shema is said every night. And it's important because it talks about the heart relationship with God. In Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. If you want to know the deeper meaning of that, I'll give you a plug. We're going to start doing that in Paleo Hebrew in my Sunday school class and breaking it all down. But it, is, it has so much weight and so much significance to it to help us to be those people that are, that are um, desperately in love with Jesus. And that's what God wants. So Jesus emphasized the importance of these words in Matthew. So we're thinking Old Testament, New Testament. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. So we got to think seriously about these words. Do we love God with all our heart, soul, and mind? We need to ask ourselves that question. Do I love God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my strength or mind? That's, that's where God wants us to be. We need to be desperate for that. And, 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 and seek to support that and maintain that in our walk with Jesus. And that kind of love will lead us to that holy desperation, that needing of being with him. It would lead to putting him as priority in our schedules and over our personal comfort and conveniences. Well, obviously, if I love God and if you love God with all your heart, your mind, and soul, that means everything about you is, first of all, consumed with God. Everything else will fall in its proper place. And if we're having trouble with complacency in our spiritual walk, with organizing our schedules to allow God to be first, or if we're having trouble obeying his commandments, we need to take Jesus' his wise counsel. Wrap this up, Matthew 7, 7, and 8. Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and, it will, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. To him who knocks, it will be open. If we ask anything of, from God amiss, Scripture says, that means with the wrong heart, wrong attitude, he's not going to give it to us. If we ask anything that isn't good for us, God's not going to give it to us because he's our Heavenly Father who loves us. But if we ask him for those things that are in line with him, and we know that in our own spirit. I know if I'm asking God for a new Corvette, and I mentioned that before, now I've changed it to, you know, just a nice big truck, you know, easier to get in and out of, okay? 
that if I'm asking with the wrong attitude, now I'm not saying, okay, I'm going to get a good attitude, get a good attitude. No. I'm talking about where my spirit is in line with God's spirit, where I know what I'm asking is a-okay with God. I'm not saying asking for truck is not a-okay. I'm just saying when we, my spirit is in line with God's spirit, as your spirit and your heart knows that what you're asking, God is saying, this is a good thing you're asking for. It's okay to ask for this, right? Then God will give it to us. And so if we're saying a complacency, a struggle with that, Lord, take away my complacency for you. He's going to give it to you. Lord, Lord, put a greater passion in my heart for you. He's going to give it to you. Lord, help me to see you and know you and be closer to you than I ever have been before. He's going to give that to you. And as we ask, we're attuned to that and watching for that, keeping our eye on that so that we can follow the promptings of God. Ask God for help. Ask God to give you desire and desperation for him. He will answer such a great request. Right? As we each approach the Lord's Supper table today, right? Reflect on your relationship with God. Where are you? Are you in a state of religion? Are you in a state of complacency? Is your heart stirred to want to know God and love God more? Are you in that place where you say, Lord, I need your help to be in love with you more? Wherever you're at, look at yourself honestly before God because you're not shocking God. (laughs) God already knows where we're at. But God just wants us to be humble and say, this is where I am at. And I want to be where you want me to be in you. Right? Because that's the fullness of life. The fullness of life is being where God wants us to be in him. It comes first by receiving Jesus as your Savior. And let me, let me qualify that for just a moment. If you are not absolutely certain that Jesus is in your heart and in your life, if you are not absolutely sure that if you die today that you have absolute confidence because Jesus is alive and real in your heart that you're going to heaven. If you don't have that, there's a possibility you're not saved. Or you need to refocus and have that confirmed in your heart. But simply put, most people that are true believers in God, if you ask them, how do you get to heaven? They know the answer on the spot. By receiving Jesus Christ in my heart, and I have him there. I say, are you saved? Yeah, why? Because I've asked Jesus to forgive me of his sins, come in my heart. You already know. And you already know he's there. If you don't have that assurance, then be honest with yourself before God. And make sure you know him. Make sure you seek after him. And learn to have the fullness of life in him because you are growing deeper in love with God. I ask God that. I say, God, help me to love you more. Help me to know you more. Help me to love you more. Because I do love you, but it's where I'm at loving you. I love the fact that I love you because you've loved me and you've allowed me to have that relationship with you. But, Lord, I want more of of knowing you and loving you in my life. And that's something that we can pursue and God will honor Amen? All right. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, if there's someone here today that's not asked Jesus Christ in their heart as their personal Lord and Savior, whether in this room or um, listening to this message, 
I pray, Father, please, that um, they would pray and acknowledge you and say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know, Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins. Please forgive me for my sins and come live in my heart and be my Savior in Jesus' name. And, and, and I know that if a person prays that or something of those words that from their heart to God, for asking God for forgiveness and God's, God to come live in their heart in the name of Jesus, then, then he will. He'll honor that. Father, if there's somebody here that, that honestly can't say, I'm absolutely sure without a doubt that when I die, I'm going to heaven, then I pray, Father, that they would honestly, without a doubt, look at their heart and know where they are with you if they're truly saved or not. And I pray certainly if they're not, or even if they're uncertain, that they would take the step and say, Lord, I want to be certain, so I'm going to ask you in my heart, and I'm going to go through that process, and I'm going to receive you today so that I don't have to question whether you were there or not, and that you would reveal yourself to them. I just pray your honor that. Father, as we take of the Lord's Supper service, I pray that every person that's here has the freedom. They do have the freedom as believers in Christ to partake of it, making sure that the heart is right with you, meaning that, that there's no known sin in their heart that you're offended with, but that they can look at you and say, God, uh, show me anything I need to confess, that, that I can confess that to you and repent of that. And so that, that guilty conscience of that can be removed or that conviction can be, move, be removed. And so I can fully and freely partake of the Lord's Supper service honoring you. Pray your honor this, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.